Good afternoon, Jazz Garrett from the capital city on KINY. Mandy Keough, Alaska's Marine Mammal Stranding Coordinator, details a recent response to two Biggs killer whales trapped in Barnes Lake in Kaufman Cove. Kaufman Cove is a small, tightly knit community on Prince of Wales Island. It was a huge group effort. We had initially heard about the whales in the lake um, around August 30th, and they had been seen in the lake for a week or two, I think about two weeks at that point. And there was a high tide cycle going through at that time. So we were hopeful that with the high tide, they would find their way out in a similar manner that they got into the lake, but they didn't. So that meant we had about a month's time to try and coordinate and plan with folks in Kaufman Cove, as well as researchers throughout the Northwest, because we couldn't try to get the whales out. We didn't think the tides would allow until the next high tide cycle, which was just last week. Because they only had a couple days when the tides were in their favor, the team went in with multiple techniques, such as ukami pipes and hukiwao, an ancient Hawaiian fishing method. But this was a technique that had the most success. What really worked in this situation, and it could be because of the type of whales they are, the big killer whales, and that there were only two of them, the playback, the calls, were what really drove, um, had probably the largest response. We were able to... Once we played the calls of the whales that these two killer whales know underwater, um, they came, they started calling. And before that, they hadn't been making any noise in the lake. And they had been, you know, staying underwater for 10 or 12 minutes in between breaths. So once we started playing the call, they immediately started calling back and they started swimming towards where the calls were coming from. The calls they played were targeted towards the two trapped males. They were the calls the two had been seen traveling with in the past. It appeared the whales had been eating while they were trapped since they were in good body condition. Challenges to the whales leaving the lake included the low tides and a kelp barrier, which was a psychological and physical barrier to the whales. Keo speculates why they swam into the lake to begin with. We don't know for sure, but the, some of the ideas are that they were likely following prey, so seals or sea lions, into the lake or sea otters. The other thought is big killer whales, their population is increasing. They seem to be exploring and going to different areas than they've been seen in the past. And that's all throughout Canada and Washington. They're seeing the whales in a lot of new areas. She adds that they couldn't have saved the two Biggs killer whales without the community's help. So really, we relied on the Kaufman Cove community members to understand what we could and couldn't do in that lake, at what point we could enter. Um, and they had over 14 boats that participated in the response over two days. Each day, over 14 boats, 30 or more community members each day came out because we needed folks to be ready to use the Okami pipes if we needed them, as well as the Hukilau. The city and borough of Juneau, Docks and Harbors announced that Harbor Master Matt Cresswell has been recognized by the Alaska Association of Harbor Masters and Port Administrators as the 2023 Alaska Harbor Master of the Year. AAHPA President Brian Hawkins awarded the honor at its annual conference in Ketchikan on September 28th. Port Director Carl Yucatel speaks to Cresswell's recognition. 
Our mess Pat Creswell has been with the Docks and Harbor since 2016. He is a very uh, efficient and productive uh, member of our team and has really spearheaded much of the improvements that we see in the harbors. Greater efficiencies at the Statter Harbor for higher floats to assisting in the, in the design of new facilities that we build to improvements along the seawalk where 1.6 million passengers uh, arrived into our city. So he's uh, a jack of all trade and he really um, cares about the community, uh, highly ethical and moral. He's a, a great employee and is well-deserving. He also shares what it means to him as port director for a Juno employee to be chosen as Alaska Harbor Master of the Year. Well, I think it just shows uh, how Juno is a leader throughout the state and how we uh, approach our facilities and the fact that to receive state recognition for um, an employee, it just demonstrates that the department is innovative and aggressive in uh, making improvements, and that's all showed up in how uh, his how he's recognized by his peers throughout the state. Coming up, the Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities Aviation Program has been honored with the highly coveted Most Innovative State Program Award. That story next on News of the North. Good afternoon, Jazz Garrett from the capital city on KINY. The Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities Aviation Program has been honored with the highly coveted Most Innovative State Program Award by the National Association of State Aviation Officials. The esteemed recognition highlights Alaska's remarkable achievements and groundbreaking initiatives in the field of aviation. Alaska, known for its vast landscapes and challenging weather conditions, has been a pioneer in the aviation industry for decades. The state's aviation program has continually strived to enhance safety, reduce environmental impacts, and improve the overall experience of aviation within its borders. These efforts have had a significant impact on the state's aviation community and the flying public. The award was received for work done by Alaska's Avalanche Program, in which Ryan Marlowe and Tim Glassett worked with partners such as the Federal Aviation Administration to integrate unmanned aerial systems into the program, enhancing safety and hitting national milestones, such as receiving approval to carry concussive devices on board UAS platforms, a fully autonomous, self-recharging UAS platform that can be deployed and controlled from anywhere in the state and using UAS imagery to create accurate snow depth modeling. Teresa Rouse and Richard Bellinger from the Department of Labor presented at yesterday's Chamber of Commerce luncheon. Bellinger addresses the gap in the Juno workforce. The Juno working age workforce. Now, these aren't people that are over a certain retirement age or under the age of 18. This is basically 18 to 65, 17,997 people. That's how many people in Juno are currently of that age group to work and are working for the most part. We have 17,506 employed of that 17,997. That leaves 491 people not employed of the working age group. 491 people, that's it. Since 2020, we've lost well over 2,000 people in Juneau alone to retirement. That's a huge, huge gap in the workforce. There has also been a large decline of people moving into Juneau. Most people in the working age are leaving town. Ross highlights that October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. 
benefits of diversifying your workforce. So there's clear evidence that hiring people with disabilities can increase revenue. They tend to be loyal to their jobs, less likely to leave, um, more likely to stay, be hard workers, better performance outcomes, and increase profit margins. On July 15, 2021, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced the new Southeast Alaska Sustainability Strategy. Regional economist Gene Daniels and Deputy Forest Supervisor for the Tongass National Forest Barbara Miranda joined Action Line to discuss the Southeast Alaska Sustainability Strategy Economic Report and Forest Management. Miranda summarizes the forest management aspect. Integrated forest management in this context is really taking a look at um, the landscape and focusing on not just timber harvest, but also watershed and wildlife habitat restoration. And um, under the sustainability strategy announcement, looking at sustainable young growth harvest and allowing for old growth harvest for cultural uses and small sales. So really trying to take a look at a a landscape level look and having activities for restoration, climate resilience, and timber all taking place on a landscape level in the most effective and efficient way possible. Daniels explains their economic report that details how much funding has been contributed in Southeast over the last year. Uh, As far as direct spending from our partners, there was uh, $1.3 million. But if you add on the indirect and induced activities, it's a total of $1.9 million were spent on uh, in the with the SAS investments, Um, and that produced um, 22 jobs. And we asked our partners also, uh, like, what proportion of that spending was spent in Southeast? And we had 85% local spending. So that was very, that was a great results. And Miranda shares the impacts of the Forest Service projects. One of the projects that we invested in was um, with Southeast Alaska Watershed Coalition. Um, Another project was with Sean Seat Corporation down on Prince of Wales. And just seeing what those organizations are doing to build a restoration economy. They're building a workforce and working with community forest projects in Huna, Cake, and across across Southeast to build the, the workforce needed to do some of the restoration work called on for the forest management aspect of the um, sustainability strategy. So just that multiplier effect. One of the other things we're hearing from partners is that success breeds success. Now you're up to date with News of the North. I'm Jazz Garrett.